Because Money was originally recorded as a video podcast, so there may be visuals that don't carry through to this audio-only version. Please visit becausemoney.ca to see the show notes, related links, and more. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Because Money podcast. Today, we're talking about Eric and Elsa. And that's about all I have to say. So, Rob, it's on to you. Thanks, Jackson. Well... Eric and Ilsa, I mean, uh, the financial facelift article in the Globe and Mail that spawned a hashtag and a parody Twitter account and countless scorn throughout the blogosphere, I guess. Um, uh, just a quick background, I guess. Every, pretty much every major newspaper does one of these kind of family profiles where they look at somebody's financial situation. Um, they have some kind of a, some kind of an issue. They bring in a financial planner and uh, try to solve that issue in a thousand words or less, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so this one particular uh, financial facelift on on the Globe and Mail was Eric and Ilsa, and and it was so ridiculous that it uh, it started out as a doctor who worked one day a week and taught at a university for one day a week. Uh, I think he made $300,000. His wife uh, was a dentist on maternity leave. They had five children. Uh, I think all together they brought in $360,000, soon to be $450,000 a year. And talking about living in a relative's home uh, rent-free, uh, I believe that house was up for sale or for some reason they needed to get out of that house. So the problem was they, um, they couldn't afford, I guess, a down payment or that was the the argument I guess, or the struggle, I guess, was uh, you know how, how could this professional couple, they can't make ends meet and what do they need to do? And so... Obvious to many readers was, well, you should probably work one more day a week. You're only working two days a week and one in a clinic, and you could probably work, make another fifty to $100,000 doing that, and problem solved. Uh, obviously, there's some spending issues that need to be get, got under control, but uh, the readers obviously started to point that out. And then, I don't know, I'll kick it over to Sandy. What happened after that? It was just a, a whole cluster of, of events that uh, you know people went crazy over this couple. And, uh, and and the shoddy journalism, basically, that, uh, that, that ended up happening afterwards. Yeah, uh, Cluster is right. Um, yeah, suddenly it turned into, instead of one day a week, in fact, he worked 80 hours a week. And instead of $6,000 a month in professional fees, it was suddenly $6,000 a year. Um, so that, that dropped, and obviously that changes everything about that financial facelift and you know no longer is the advice which was in the facelift originally work an extra day now the advice is I mean obviously it's something completely different and um, and so the and then and then the story then turned into now he works over a hundred hours a week anyway there, there continued to be kind of these completely different corrections but buried now, underneath the whole story, right? Sure, buried in italicies under the story, and then you know, and then you know, the the rhetoric sort of uh, there was all kind of the the funny things and the you know the ironic and the Twitter eye rolling, but um, then kind of the Globe and Mail and and a bunch of very serious people kind of started chastising everyone, and and then Rob Carrick came out then the next day with another article that said, well, not another, he didn't write the first one, obviously, but he came out with his own opinion piece, which was, yeah, mocking Eric and Ilsa is easy. Let's talk about the wealth gap and the 1% and that sort of thing. Let's not, we're all Eric and Ilsa, you're just mad that they're rich. Um, but again, I think that's not really the point of what most people were angry about, so it's very, so it's just all, all around crazy. 
We're really happy to be joined by Alexander McQueen, who has helped out on some of these financial facelifts in the past. And uh, welcome, Alexandra, and, and maybe give us uh, your take on on this particular story, and, and maybe tell us about how uh, how they've gone in the past in terms of what kind of details you get from from the journalist and from the couple. Well, I think it's really there's a lot of different places we could go with the whole financial facelift phenomenon. Because as you pointed out, I think it's in, there's certainly the Globe and Mail has been running a financial facelift for many, many years, and the Financial Post does one as well. Yeah, I think the Money Sense, uh, the Star does one every week, Money Sense, and there's, you know what, there's probably others. Uh, there are advisor publications that certainly do case studies where people write in. So there's an appetite for this kind of financial advice. People, there's clearly people want it and lots of readers like it. Lots of people say to me, and I've certainly heard many times, this is my favorite part of the Globe and Mail. I love to get it on Saturday morning. It's the first thing I turn to. It's so interesting to read. So one question that's really there for me is why do we like these so much? Why do people seek financial advice out in that forum? And why do we as Canadians love to read financial advice that's delivered via these kind of really short snapshots? Jackson, let me throw that over to you. What do you feel? How do you feel about these financial facelifts? Are they kind of voyeuristic? Do you like kind of diving into this and seeing how this side of the world lives? Well, I don't really find much value in them personally. To be quite honest, this is the first one that I've actually read from start to finish. And as I was reading it, it was pretty much my reaction was, really? really? These guys need help with their, like, to me, I was completely blown away. And again, there's, if you read the story that was there before versus reading the story now, you can kind of read this one, okay, yeah, they need a little bit of help. But I mean, this cat was working one day a week in as a doctor and one day a week as a professor making over $300,000 and he's putting his kids in private school. They bought a million dollar house. They need got to live in nanny. And you just kind of go with, wow, these guys are clowns. They have serious issues. There's no way that this, this house is relevant to anyone. This is just straight Globe and Mail getting people to read the paper because it's outrageous. And that was, I think, the reaction. And I, I took the bait. I, I started making, I started, I went to my meme maker on my phone <laughs> and I started sharing memes on Twitter because why? Because retweet. I mean, it's happening. This was like, it's just pure gold. And the, because, or the, the hashtag Eric and Ilsa is just, I mean, it's it's hilarious. I mean, it's I, I I watched somebody today on Twitter say, "Ooh, I don't have that kind of money." That's Eric and Ilsa money. So I mean, it's already becoming a thing to make fun of them. But I mean, if he's actually a doctor working eighty hours a week, I don't begrudge him. Hey, you went to school for forty three years or however long it is to become a doctor. I'm not, certainly not going to begrudge you for making the money. So for me, it's not about the the wealth gap. It's not about making fun of the one percent. It's just straight up, the story had bad facts. So do I necessarily, how do I feel about financial facelifts in general? Meh. How do I feel about this one? Oh, it was fun to roast, but it wasn't really the truth that we were roasting. So how do I feel about it now? I say we still roast them because it's kind of fun. Well, let's talk a little bit about the journalism then because uh, obviously this is a kind of the sensationalist look at things. And, and uh, Alexandra, you mentioned that you know it's often people's favorite you know, look into the paper to, to dive into somebody's finances. And so obviously there's value there from the from the newspaper side of things. They're getting eyeballs on, on these types of articles. And so does the Globe and Mail care 
that we're all making fun of this. I noticed that the next day there in, in Rob Carrick's column, so on Twitter, the Glo Globe investors saying, um, you know, here's Rob Carrick's take on this, and they're using the hashtag Eric and Ilsa. So they're using this to kind of further along their page views and more eyeballs on their site. You know, Gawker is linking to them and, and just mocking them. Do they care? Uh, or is it just more eyeballs there? Do they care about the integrity of it, I guess? Well, I'm going to speak as somebody who has participated as the planner in two of those columns. So the first one I did was kind of accidental, and the scenario was very unusual. So it didn't. It was really not a relatable scenario for most people. But it was a a woman at age of 82. She wanted. She had. It, her situation was very uh, was very unique and. You know, nobody contacted me after that and said, "Wow, this is a relatable story." And can you do? Can you help me out with my finances? And then, you know, they asked me to do another one, which was much more common to kind of an ordinary scenario that a Canadian might find themselves in. It's professional couple, stay-at-home mom. We have two kids to put through university, and we want to know: can we can we meet that goal, put them through university, and then also retire early? So I think that that's kind of like the average Canadian global mail readers exact scenario they want advice on. But my thought about the process is, you know, I'm, I'm no journalist, I, I provided financial planning advice, but it's such a truncated little snapshot and yet there's this very kind of absurd specificity. So it's like if John and Erica save, you know, this much per year, then in 2017 they'll have $593 382 cents. Like it's very, very bizarrely specific, and I have to wonder: Do people really read that and get anything from it? Yeah, and I think they want to read what, how the, how other people are living, right? You all, we all want to peek inside our neighbors, you know, finances, and and uh, you know, I see that they, ha you know, I hear all these people that uh, you know keeping up with the Joneses, and I see the two brand new SUVs and the and the half a million dollar house or the million dollar house. And I want to think that they're drowning in debt because no one can afford that. And so these kind of give us a little peek inside at, at, at that. So maybe we can confirm that or uh, I don't know. I, I think I don't know they, what the tread a, they tread a line between, I think, on the reader's part, they want the role of the financial planner is to sweep in and kind of spank the client. Oh, you should, you've done this and this is not good and you should do this other thing. But also the role of the journalist, I think, or the framing of the piece is designed to add kind of relatability and a kind of a pleasant wrap-up. Like, look, here's their scenario, and if they do this one thing, then everything is solved. So there's this kind of very, um, I said truncated, but very, you know, people often don't have one issue in isolation that if you solve it somehow that everything falls into place. I think that leads into something that Sandy talked about leading up to this was about this kind of the soundbite advice. Um, how could you possibly, you know, solve somebody's dilemma in that 800-word column? And uh, maybe throw it over to you, Sandy, and, and talk a little bit about, you know, what's your reaction to these columns and and um, are they helpful? Do they are they hurting anybody? And what you know are are people actually getting valuable advice out of something that can be like you said, truncated down to a column. I think I think it, it's far-fetched to believe that somebody with a similar background, let's say a stay-at-home mom and two kids to put into university and the desire to retire early, 
um, if we use that as an example, it's far-fetched to believe that someone would read that financial facelift and say, oh, oh, then therefore me and my spouse will do X, Y, and Z because the facelift couple did. I, and I, I sincerely doubt that that's the reason for financial facelift or for the money sense ones, although those tend to be longer. Um, I don't think that's the reason that they're written. They're written for you know, kind of economic voyeurism light in a way. So yes, it's to establish the principles. It's to say yes, if they if they think about their TFSA in this way instead of in that way, or if they decide they're not going to fully fund their child's RESP. So there are some good grains of information or ways of thinking, but um, I don't think they hurt people either to answer that question. But there's no nuance. That I mean, Eric and Elsa could have been. Before, I mean, the the story as written could have been a reflection of true facts, and much of the nuance that would have made that a legitimate planning problem is lost in 800 words. So, what if there was? I used this example multiple times already, but what could possibly be the fact that could explain that couple? Not in a way that's acceptable to me, because I don't. They don't need to explain themselves to me, but in a way that would mean the answer is not just work one more day a week. So maybe they have five, you know, severely disabled children at home or, you know, they work with charity the rest of the time. So we in 800 or 1,000 words, there is no way to talk about the values that this couple has and why this is a particular problem from them. There is really only, you know, set of facts, planner equation, solution, everything is done and on to your next column. And I think that it's worth thinking about, you know, we've said that this doesn't hurt the people that receive facelifts, but I think it probably doesn't help them either. You know, and there's two things that I think about, uh, you know, why people, so clearly people write in, they want this financial advice, they want the idea that some somebody who's perceived as an expert is going to look at their scenario and provide some kind of impartial professional advice. So tells me that they don't feel that they're getting that now. And that to me is a big question about well, why, why is it that they would feel like the Globe and Mail's 800 words is worthwhile? You know, if Eric and Ilsa, <laughs> if they were ever, you know, revealed in their community, I think, you know, I wonder about future financial facelift people if they're going to say I'm not willing to risk the potential worldwide scorn that can be heaped upon me from participating in this. But the other part of it, so apart from thinking, hey, the Globe and Mail, this 800 words is going to help me, is the dilemmas that people bring, so I've been reading this thing for more than 10 years, are often extremely basic, or at least as they're characterized in the column. So people aren't finding the advice that they think they need, presumably, in their community, but their questions are very basic, so the level of financial literacy seems, that's to me where I would go to, like, why... Why do, why do these financial facelifts exist? Hmm. And uh, your first point kind of leads me to uh, what I found interesting when the, uh, the Globe, I think they, they published a, an article, it was like a letter to the editor, questions to the editor of why, and it was why, so it was why do these kind of one percenters get profiled all the time? Right. And, and so their answer was basically, well, you know, we welcome all of these, um, all the, all types of different profiles. Uh, however, we kind of lose people at, you know, we want to take your picture, we want to share, right. you know, more details than many people are willing to share. And so, what we're end, what we typically end up with is the, 
the couple with the defined benefit pension plan and either higher income or uh, boatload of assets and they're wanting to know kind of and just like you said maybe they're not getting that advice in their community but they're and they're wanting to know you know what how best to optimize this or can I meet two or three of these goals um, so I thought that was interesting on kind of who writes in and I believe that you know I believe that and maybe it's about the oversharing that uh, people with uh, what they feel are financial problems or they're buried in credit card debt or uh, right. consolidation loans or whatever they, they don't want to share that for fear that might get out or you know, if anyone's ever read the comments on a Globe and Mail article you certainly wouldn't want to be featured in it. <laughs> you know I wonder though it's something we talked about before this episode began. I, I mean Alexander you see you've been reading them for 10 years. Do you think that someone with a boatload of credit card debt um, instead of a boatload of assets sees themselves in that call? Would it even occur to them that they're in a situation where a little bit of cash flow planning might actually help them? Right. No, I think that that's exactly right, that you have to think that things are basically okay to think that a quick, anonymous, sort of third-party review would be helpful. You can't think things are dire, because then you'd seek a different solution. And the funny thing is, I think the ironic thing about the fact that, or what seems to be the asset level... assets they have access to relatively you know kind of fee-friendly advice um, people with more money tend to have access to better or kind of more full-service planning firms um, that may or may not also do investing but that that tier of planning has always existed The, as a you know, if you're represented as a percent of their investable assets, it's way more expensive for them. So I would think that the idea of a free anonymous, you know, work with a financial planner would be would seem more appealing to somebody that doesn't have access to that. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Okay, I'm, I'm going to take and I want to start talking about yeah. the journalistic integrity here because there is some serious problems with this story and can we think going forward that, that there's even accuracy in any of them? I mean, the outrage, like, there was some, there, the outrage was there for a reason. I mean, for me, I wonder, why did this guy write in in the first place? Like, why did... Why is he having financial troubles? I mean, they're making $450,000 a year. They've got no debt except maybe a 2.4, so it's a variable rate on a lot at 70%, probably a credit union. I mean, there's a lot of things you can take away from their situation. Why is he having a hard time getting a mortgage? Well, maybe he's got a professional corporation. He's writing down his income. There's probably reasons, but the article just doesn't get into it. The, the, the facts aren't there to actually give the full picture, and the facts that are there are wrong. How many times did they make mistakes? They made a mistake on how much they made, how many days a week they made, then how many hours a week he worked, then they drew that back down. I mean, you might as well just completely rewrite the article and change the names to other people in Frozen. Have you noticed that, by the way? Both characters are uh, frozen characters. Yeah. <laughs> That's Ilsa, by the way. I've watched it many, many times, as Sandy probably knows too. Um, 
Just just uh, background on the on the income versus uh, expenses. So for for anyone who didn't read that article, it was uh, they made twenty five thousand dollars a month, and they spent thirty one. Just Rob, just let that sit in. Yeah, $25,000 a month. A month. But hold on. One day a week. And they spent $31,000 a month, right? So so the first error was that in the expenses there was a huge mistake, and that was that they somehow spent $6,000 a month on professional fees and dues, and that turned out to be $6,000 a year. And so... They talked about in the in the article was this gap of five thousand dollars a month. Well, there it is, right? And so that changed the story completely, uh, well, just with that one change, just with that one error, and let alone the working. You need to work one more day a week, but actually, no. You yeah, the advice was work another day a week, or go into debt and borrow a million dollars from your parents until your kids are in college. Wait a minute. How does we're talking about two different things. You're getting angry because they're rich in 1%. <laughs> but let's go back for one second. Let's talk about this better. idea of accuracy, though. Because <laughs> these, people are, these people are not submitting their actual statements of assets and liabilities. It's a two-page form. They have to, I, I've seen them, and Alexander, obviously you've seen them. They have to self-report what, what are your expenses, and then what are your assets, what is your... You kind of name your top three concerns or whatever. Again, it's two pages. So um, the the author of the report, and I imagine for more than just the Globe and Mail, they're not they're not. It's not a fact checking situation, and I don't I don't fault them for that. I don't think it should have to be, but it's a logic situation. But you know, the people kept calling on Twitter for this needs to be fact checked, and I think to myself, well, what is it that the journalist is supposed to do? Is she supposed to confirm that these are living, breathing people? That's okay. right. So if we have to fact check, that means that the article is meant to serve the people reading it more than it's meant to serve the people who are self-reporting their income. Like if that's what they say they make, and that's what they say they ex that they pay in expenses, then they're the ones that are hurt if there's any inaccuracy, right? Well, I can you know? I can really see how this happened. I mean, as a physician, if he says I have one clinic day and one teaching day. You know, maybe the planner looks at that and says, "Oh, two days," versus going back and saying, so well, "What does one and... right? What does one clinic day mean? How many hours a week do you work?" It, it seems clear from what was published that that step of going back and asking the the face lifted person about how many hours were worked, and obviously the guy wrote in afterwards and said, "No, no, no, I, I work 80 hours a week." So does the article get published with the planner's advice before anything goes back to the uh, the submitter of the information to say, oh, okay, well, that's cool, I'll work one more day a week then? I'm not aware, in the two that I did, I'm not aware that they went back. I mean, I think that what happens is this person opens up the newspaper and says, oh, look, there's my scenario. Okay. Yeah. And look, Which there's is, my parody Twitter account. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, you know, I was talking to Sandy earlier about in an ideal world, how would this happen? And, you, you know, I think there'd be like a committee, maybe a committee of planners who would, who would look at this scenario and say, okay, let's, let's, what do we need to check out? What do we need to verify? And then what are the strategies we want to propose? Yeah, but that's a, that's a very different proposition than 600 words banged out between Tuesday and Friday. Right. 
And and I can and like you said, I can totally see how this would happen. So I have, I have clients that will submit a, a form back to me, but because they pay their mortgage uh, two times a month or biweekly, you know, and I'm asking for what's your monthly mortgage payment, they don't actually do that math to to convert it into a monthly. So it skew, you know, even if that's a hundred dollars, it skews the numbers and the accuracy that I can give for for advice, right? And so I'm sure you've dealt with that, Sandy, and you've you've uh, you've complained before about. Um, the when you self-report the numbers and you're not actually tracking properly your expenses and you have these round numbers of yeah. I spend exactly one thousand dollars a month on groceries <laughs> and you know what I mean so so I can definitely see how those numbers don't have to be accurate but uh, uh, you could see right in the first the initial comments there was a surgeon that came up and there's like he's there's no way he's doing that for one day a week like you know so yeah. the readers all caught on and I think that was the big gotcha moment it wasn't mm -hmm. for the readers it wasn't um, you know the the monthly payments are out of whack or whatever it was like this you guys missed the boat here well it was fascinating to me that they kept changing the disclaimer at the bottom you know here we're, we're issuing a clarification and yet the advice remained the same. So clearly the advice no longer is suitable, right? He can't work one more day a week if he's working 100 hours a week or 80 hours a week even. So it just was so unsatisfying, right, for for readers, unless you love the, the tweets, right? It well, was, it was satisfying for quite a few people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it's satisfying for that end for sure. And I think that, um, and that's kind of goes back to my earlier comment about, well, what, uh, what does the Globe and Mail care about here? Is it all the eyeballs on this story? And I think if you change that story, then you lose all those residual clicks that are going to come from when the gawkers of the world pick it up and and that sort of thing. So you know they can make the little footnote on the bottom, which is you know to us you know reading it, we think that's ridiculous. You need to change the whole story. Um, but I think they want the eyeballs on that original story to say, you know, this is what the outrage was about, and then here's our little footnote at the bottom. But it's interesting that there's a whole level of journalistic outrage. So it, what I see in the Twitter stream is people saying, you know, the public editor of the Globe and Mail needs to call, be called to account for this. Like there's a, like a totally separate from the advice side of it, there's like you can't publish things that you haven't verified. Well, it seems very tabloid-like, right? You know, in the way that they lured in this other, this old audience, but when it blew up on Twitter and and, uh, and, and even when some U.S. sites picked it up, you know, that's what it right. seems so sensationalist. Well, I'm very curious to see the financial payslips going forward. I I wonder if people who are scheduled to be profiled are now going to say, you know what? Yeah, it's no way. <laughs> it's not worth it. <laughs> no way. So would you do another one as the as the planner? Well, it's a good question. I, I wonder. I, you know, I the the reason that I got invited to do one in the first place is I had a friend who wanted a facelift and who is one of the people who backed out uh, because of her concern that she was going to be identified. Um, that just because her scenario was so unique and whatever that they weren't going to adequately mask her identity and she's like ah, I don't want to do it but then the journalist asked me if I would be interested in doing one and the scenario was so unusual with this elderly woman scenario and I thought oh this is actually kind of an interesting puzzle to to, to think about like I my creative juices but so it was really I just fell into it with no particular plan to ever do a second one or a third one sure so there's a non-answer for you. <laughs> <laughs>
Jackson, let's. Uh, I think we're we're close to our time here, but I want to hear at some of the like. Th this blew up. I mean, I didn't see it on the on the. I think it comes out on Saturdays, and I didn't see it mm -hmm. on Saturday, but the Sunday Monday it was going crazy on on Twitter and. and and other blogs were picking it up, but there was some there was some wild stuff before the facts got re or repurposed, I guess, or or, or got checked. Uh, Jackson, what were some of your favorites for what you were when you were following on Eric and Ilsa's hashtag? Oh man, there's a ton of them. The Eric and Ilsa account is awesome. I mean, breaking the Bank of Canada forecast is really messing with Eric and Ilsa's Reno plans. Uh, mo money, mo problems. And why high earners sometimes struggles to pay the bills. Uh, there's oh, there people are writing blogs about this. They're making memes. Uh, I think our work here is done. Would love to hand off this Twitter account to Canadian charity startup. So I mean, there's some things that are going on. I mean, this happened when last Friday. It's now what a Wednesday, and it's still very active. Like. On Twitter, it's hourly updates, and you know, I think one of my favorites was that people are saying, "Oh, that's Eric and Ilsa money." Like that's becoming the top dog for money now. Like, ooh, Eric and Ilsa money, you know, cash money, baby. Like, I just, it, to me, it really worked, and I think it was people. I don't think it was people getting around and making fun of the one percent. I really think that misses the mark. I think it was just kind of like, "You have got to be kidding me," you know? Come on, it's it's not about the one. I think it was about the bad journalism on this one particular story, and I think people had fun with it. And I don't begrudge them because I was uh, kind of cheerleading. So, one last uh, question, Alexandra Sandy. Um, I wanted to like so we're talking about the one percent, and and the last couple of years it's been this uh, what do they call it the YOLO mentality? You only live once, and so all the conversation that happened about. Uh, Eric and Ilsa, and maybe it is about the 1%, who knows, behind, like, you know, when you dig deep down. Uh, is this a way that we've now started a conversation to say, well, it's not really okay to, to YOLO your way through life? Isn't that always the conversation? I would hope that that's a quiet conversation that's always happening when sensible financial plan not, I mean, when sensible financial planners are looking at their clients and saying, Let's talk about you. Let's let's lay your investments aside. It's going to be the same old story from Sandy Martin. But how do you spend your money every single day, every single week, every single month, every single year? Let's talk about that, and then let's talk about what you want to do with that, and how you're going to invest, and what house you're going to build, etc. Well, I think that Eric and Ilsa, whoever they may actually be and whatever their scenario might actually be, are genuinely in need of a plan, right? They could genuinely benefit from some financial planning. I think, though, as physicians, there's a human capital story there, which makes them quite different from, you know, I have no idea what the details of the scenario are, but he could be a radiologist with huge earning potential. Uh, dentists, you know, they their scenario is different from salaried employees who have a fairly non-volatile, stable source of income, the amount of debt they're in may be completely logical, uh, depending on their stage of life and their other financial commitments. They could easily afford a million-dollar house and the, even the lifestyle they want. This is about consumption smoothing, right? This is a, a different conversation than fixing up one piece of their finances now. I'd like to take a look at the whole life cycle for them and plot out what's the what's the optimal path for them to spend over their lifetime. You're just smiling at me there, Sandy. Because I like hearing all those words. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm just saying that, that it's, you know, I said earlier that the people want the, it seems to me that readers want people in the in these facelifts to be spanked. But I think that even situations that can look unusual from the outside may not be, may not be spank-worthy. But it's, with this particular case, it's pretty much impossible to say. That's the thing. You know what? That, let's go back then to the fact that it's 800 words, and these are people who we don't know. As much as we want to look at the few brief facts about their life and say, you're a total waste of space, and how dare you clutter up my British Columbia with your snobbiness, they're people. They genuinely looked for help. Maybe they're misguided. Maybe they're making some poor choices. But we, there's no possible way, and I think the Globe and Mail is perpetuating the if, if indeed this is kind of 1% voyeurism, Global Mail and the financial facelift kind of trend or whatever you want to call it is perpetuating this. Let's, let's just look at their details and judge them based on that and not worry about them being real people. Well, the Globe is providing the window. We're just merely looking through it. Right. And we drew our own conclusions with this one, I think. And I'm going to leave with a quote from Carrie K. Taylor at Squawk Fox. I'm trying to keep up with Eric and Ilsa lifestyle, but the hilarious story corrections are distracting me from work. I think she nails it there. And I think we're out. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Because Money is a labor of love and involves no ads or other sponsorship, be sure to click the like or subscribe button where you downloaded this from, as we'll help other listeners find the podcast and raise our profile, which in turn makes it easier to book guests. Please visit becausemoney.ca for show notes and related links.